We've got our last week in 1 Timothy, and we'll look at chapter 6, verses 17 to 21. I'm going to turn there with me. While you're going there, you know, next week we're jumping into Job. So I'm pretty pumped about it and scared because I've learned that when you preach on something, God tends to bring those sorts of things into your life. And so you can pray for me um, as, we, as I preach through that. But I'm excited. So if you, if you here are just going through it, if you're suffering in any way, you won't want to miss it. And if you aren't, you won't want to miss it either because you will someday. And so we're going to learn how we can respond to suffering in a way like we, like we just did in worship. Respond like Job does by worshiping and praising him through it. And then after that, we're going we're gonna to keep it nice and light and do a marriage series after that. So real just, you know, fluffy, light things. No, real heavy things coming, but really, really needed. Marriages are struggling. And even if your marriage isn't struggling, marriage is hard. It just, it's tough. So um, I'm excited to jump into those. Um, today we're in 1 Timothy 6. Before I read that, though, it's talking in this passage to rich Christians. And, I, and you might even be thinking as I say that, should that even be a thing? Here are some common beliefs that I hear about the Bible's teaching on money. Rich Christians are ungodly hypocrites. Rich and Christian don't even belong in the same sentence. Christians who have nice things are materialistic and love stuff too much. Christians who make a good living don't love God. All of those are simply myths and may or may not be true with each individual. So to be clear, the Bible warns against what riches and wealth could do to your heart. But nowhere does it condemn being rich. In fact, our scripture for today gives, us, gives instruction to Christians who are rich. So let's check it out. 1 Timothy 6, 17-21. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. So let me, let me go after this in reverse. So let me begin with verses 20 and 21, and then we'll focus in on 17 to 19 the rest of the time. So verses 20 and 21 are a summation of everything that Paul has said in this letter to young Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus. And he says to him, hey, guard the truth of God's word. And he said this over and over. Guard what's been entrusted to you, Timothy, which is the word of God, the gospel message, and, and to guard his people, right? He's overseeing a church in Ephesus. So he's, he's saying, hey, guard that church. Guard those people. And he says to them, don't get sucked into pointless arguments about nothing. And then as Paul does famously at the end of most of his letters, he says, grace be with you all. 
And Paul ends that way because he realizes that even though Paul said some really, really vital, important things to Timothy as a pastor, he said, here's the most important thing. You're going to need God's grace for every step of the way. God's grace is what you need most, Timothy. More than anything else that I've taught you in this letter, you need the grace of Jesus Christ. So that's the end of the letter. Now let's jump back to 17 through 19. And those verses are instructions for the rich. Now some of you might be thinking this morning, I'm off the hook because I am not rich by any stretch of the imagination. Now here's the thing. I know right now many are hurting financially. Okay, Inflation is real. Times are tough. And not everyone here is or will be rich financially. And not everyone here will be rich, or not everyone here is or will be poor financially. But here's what's true. Everyone here can relate to having more than what you need of something. They, all of us, at various times, and I would contend that all of us right now have more than what we need of some things. Whether it's vehicles, or ground beef in the deep freeze, or space in your house, or clothes, or shoes, or free time. Like even if it's not material, like we all can relate. We, ha- we have a bunch of time to kill. Okay, you got a bunch of free time. You have more than what you need of something. So when you have more than what you need of something, What should we do? How should we think? How should we act? How should we react? That's what the instructions in 17 and 19 are geared towards. So, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant. So when you have more than you need of something, don't be arrogant. Now, arrogant means thinking of yourself as having more value than you actually have. And you think this simply because you have more of something. Now naturally, when you have more of something than other people, you start to look down on other people. And you have an inflated view of yourself. It's, it's like blowing up a balloon. It's just full of air. Like we, we, fill, we, we think of ourselves as bigger, as more important, and we start looking down on other people. When the truth is, it's not what we have that gives us our value or our worth. We are all bearers of the image of God. We literally represent God, which means we have infinite value and equal value. There's no looking down on other people. So we need to train ourselves, instead of looking down on other people, to look up. Instead of looking down on other people or looking around at other people when we have more than what we need. See, looking around, you can, you can look down at other people or you can look around at other people. This is, this is like a comparison trap. And you'll start to trick yourself into thinking that you're better than other people. But inevitably, this will never stop if you start looking around at other people. Because you can't actually keep up with the Joneses. Like It, it just can't be done. There's always going to be a more advanced lawnmower. There's always going to be uh, a newer, better car. Um, there's always going to be someone with more and better. So instead, 
When you get more than what you need of something, train yourself to look up. Earlier in this chapter, 6 verse 7, Paul said, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. And then next week, we're actually going to see in Job 1 verse 21, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I leave. See, both Job and Paul understood that anything that we receive comes from God, and anything that we receive in abundance is doubly from God. It's, it's an undeserved gift from God. So we need to let gratitude by looking up and thanking God be our gut response when we have more than what we need of something. So when you have more than you need of something, don't look down on other people. Don't look around at other people. Look up in gratefulness to God. Next we see that when you have more than you need of something, don't put your hope in it. Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Now, what is hope? That's a word we sing about. That's a word we see a lot in scripture. What does it mean? Well, I think there's three key elements to hope. So hope requires trust. Hope requires expectancy. And hope requires excitement. Trust, expectancy, excitement. When you have an abundance of something, let's just say you have an abundance of free time, perhaps this afternoon, you're like, oh, this afternoon, this this evening, I have nothing going on, I can do whatever I want, I've got an abundance of free time. Maybe that's true of you today. If it is, praise God. Um, Let's say you have that. Well, here's the deal. Don't fully trust in it, because it could get taken away in a moment. And don't expect it to be the best afternoon and evening ever because you live in a broken world. Things will not go the way you anticipate. And don't get overly emotionally excited or it will never be good enough for you. I fall into this trap way too much. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to enjoy this thing. It's going to be amazing. And then I put this expectation here. And on this earth, short of heaven, it could never actually be be there, and I'm expecting earth to be heaven. So full hope, full trust, expectancy, and excitement is never worth investing in anything on this earth, but it should be fully invested in God. More on that in a moment, but don't hope in abundance, because abundance, it says here, is an uncertain It's uncertain how long you will have with whatever you have abundance of. You see, the economy could tank tomorrow. It's uncertain. It's uncertain what you spend it that what you're spending it on will be that great. Cars still crash. Cars you drive them off the lot and depreciate, and sometimes they even break down the next day. It's uncertain how much whatever you have an abundance of will actually satisfy you. See, some of the wealthiest people are the most unhappy. So when you have more than you need of something, don't put your hope in it. It makes a terrible savior. See, things that aren't God always overpromise and they underdeliver. Why? Because they're not God. So, when you have more than you need of something, don't put your hope in it. 
Put your hope in God. Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Notice the contrast here. Wealth is uncertain. Wealth is untrustworthy. Don't hope in it. God, however, is certain. He is trustworthy. Completely hope in him. Save your trust and excitement and expectancy for God alone. And he will, if not in this life, in the next, exceed your expectations. And he will over-deliver. No one else. Nothing else can do that. So why should we put our hope in God? Well, it says it right here, because he richly provides us with all things to enjoy. He's the provider of everything, of all things. Every breath you take is an undeserved gift from God. Every meal you eat is an undeserved gift from God. Every beautiful sight that you behold is an undeserved gift of God. Look, if we all got what we deserved, we would receive death. We would receive eternal separation from God. We would receive eternal torture. But astonishingly, God gives us life and eternal joy, but then adds to it here and now, and that is what grace is. He gives us grace, undeserved gift after undeserved gift. And he's the provider of riches. So he's not just the provider of everything we have. When we have an abundance of things, he is the provider of that. When you have more than what you need, you did not earn that. Who gave you the ability to work and get that money? Who gave you the favor to get that promotion? Who put you in a country to live in at this time in history? Who gave you the ability to even learn the skills to do what got you what you have? God. No one is a self-made man or woman. Nobody. Everyone is a God-made man or woman. Anytime you have had what you needed, it was a gift from God. And anytime you had more than you needed, that was a double gift from God. So anytime that God provides for you richly, we should be doubly grateful. I've been trying to use this phrase lately in, in my prayers of thankfulness. This phrase, not only... Not only do I have money, I have more than I need. Not only do I have a meal, I, I have more food than I need. Tyler Statton, in his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools, really drove it home. He said, during the Jewish Passover, the Israelites traditionally sang a gratitude song called the Deenu. Deenu means, it would have been enough. Deano prayers sound like, God, lunch today would have been enough, but you provided me with the resources to choose the type of food I wanted to eat and options to pick from. God, lunch of my choice would have been enough, but you created a world of flavor and spice and culture to make food more than fuel to offer it as artistic and delicious. And God, a delicious lunch of my choice would have been enough, but you gave me a coworker to share a conversation with over that food. Thank you, God, for overdoing it. I love that. If you're feeling stuck 
in your prayers of thankfulness, like you're just kind of praying the same things, you don't actually have a grateful heart, start praying not only. Start praying it would have been enough type prayers. We see in verse 17 that his provisions are to be enjoyed as a gift from God. So anything we receive, whether little or much, are to be received with joy and enjoyed. It's not just we're supposed to be thankful for it and grovel. We're then supposed to enjoy it. We actually saw this earlier this year in Clesiastes. So let me read Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 19, just as a refresher. It says basically the same thing. Here's what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him Because that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. See, here's what God doesn't do. God doesn't give us, let's just say, an extravagant meal at a fancy restaurant and then stand there with arms crossed and go, you better enjoy it because you're never getting that again. See, that's, that's not what God does. He says, no, enjoy it. Get the appetizer. Get the dessert for once. See, verse 17, it says, set your hope on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Now, there's two parts of this verse that get overemphasized in our mind based on our past experiences. And the, the one part is, enjoy and the other part is God provides now maybe it has just been drilled into you in life hey God provides or at least if if not with that language it was drilled into you that hey you don't deserve anything you just you don't deserve anything so you better be grateful and because of that maybe you can hardly enjoy much of anything I mean, that's, that's kind of me. That just got drilled into me, which I'm, I'm grateful for to some extent, but I'm having to learn in my life to just kind of chill out and enjoy things from God for once. Or maybe for you, it was drilled into you to, hey, enjoy things in life. Live it up. Get the most pleasure out of things at all costs. And when you do that, you forget who gave it to you to begin with. And you start to abandon God's good boundaries around things. And that's what leads to addictions. What do you need to hear louder regarding God's good gifts? Do you need to hear relax and enjoy? Or do you need to hear stop and just be grateful? So when you have more than you need of something, you need to put your hope in God. Find your hope in God. Next, we see when you have more than you need of something, you need to invest it in the eternal. Verses 18 and 19. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. That phrase, it's so beautiful, take hold of what is truly life. Last week, we saw in verse 12 to, that the command to take hold of eternal life. And so now he's saying essentially the same thing, take hold of what is truly life. And as Pastor John Piper said so beautifully, 
You need to invest in something that will matter in a thousand years. See, if it won't matter in a thousand years, it's not worth spending your time or your life on. That's what is truly life. See, God's work is eternal, which means God's work matters in a thousand years. So in verse 18, it says, do what is good. Be rich in good works. See, this starts with focus. It's all about focus. Don't arrogantly focus on whatever you have excess of. Instead, selflessly focus on things that God cares deeply about. So what does God care deeply about that will matter in a thousand years? What does God care deeply about that is eternal? Well, his bride, the church, Focus on giving your time and your energy and your resources to serving your church family, your brothers and sisters. If you want to help more around here, let's talk. What else? What else does God care deeply about? He cares deeply about the unsaved, those that don't know Christ. So focus, focus on praying for people to be saved. Focus on sharing the gospel with the unsaved. Focus on supporting missions, efforts to reach the unsaved and the lost. We have a, a digital bulletin, and, and if you don't want to access it, you can. there's a QR code on the back of our seats. Um, but every week there's a, a missions minute, and I just wanted to read the one from this week. It says, did you know that $15 of every $100 given to Stonebridge goes directly to local, regional, and global missions? And then it goes on to, to share about one of our missionaries. So I just wanted to point you, hey, if you're like, man, I, I do want to be more focused on the eternal. And I, I, I want to get in the game and really focus more on missions and at least just use my, my time, my my free time to pray more for missions. We have these cards that are on the welcome table and we have more on a board out by the bathrooms there that have um, individual missionaries and on the back it has ways to pray for them very specifically. What if you just grabbed one and you committed to praying for them? Even, if, even just once a week. Maybe you're not praying for missions at all in your life and you're just like, I want, I'm going to start praying for things that really matter in a thousand years. What else will matter in a thousand years? underprivileged and the down and out. You could ask Greg Picklap how to get involved with our Home for a While program more. You could go on a mission trip with Randy through Samaritan's Purse. Talk to him about that. I mean, I could just go on and on and on, but we need to shift our focus from our abundance to things that God cares about. We need to be rich in good works Verse 18 says, do what is good, be rich in good works. So it's not just focusing on things that God cares about deeply. It's actually investing ourselves, investing whatever we have ac access on in good works. So what if the next time you had discretionary money, you didn't say, man, what, what could I buy? What if instead you asked yourself, how could I invest in something that will matter in a thousand years? What if the next time you had extra time on your hands, you didn't say, well, how could I kill a few minutes? How could I waste some time? Instead, you said, how could I invest my time in something that will matter in a thousand years? You want purpose for your life? 
Spend it on something that will matter in a thousand years. Other people will matter in a thousand years. We are all eternal. And there's only two places to go. You will eternally be in heaven or hell. That's what the scripture clearly teaches. So other people are worth spending your time on. And so it says in here, hey, be willing to share. Be willing to share. So I I automatically think of my wife, Heather. So she makes cinnamon rolls from scratch from time to time, which are incredible. And when she makes them, though, she doesn't just make enough for our family. She makes a ton of them. And I'm always like, let's just leave them here. We'll eat them, you know. She's like, no, no, no. I'll bring a pan to this person, to that person, that. And she's just, she's doing this. She's willing to share. We, you know, we don't, we don't have uh, a lot of excess of much of anything in our lives. But we have excess of cinnamon rolls from time to time. And we can share those. So the next time you have extra of anything, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what you make or don't make. You have excess of things in life. Next time you do, think, how could I share this with someone else? And then it says, be willing to share and be generous. Generosity is a posture of open-handedness. Open-handedness to God and open-handedness to other people. It's, it's this attitude of, this isn't really mine anyways. So I'm not going to clench my fist tight around this. No, I'm going to have my hands open to share this, whoever, whenever, and however. Generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with your relationship with what you have. Is your hope and your identity wrapped up in what you have? Or is your hope and identity wrapped up in Christ? You want a great litmus test on how you're doing with generosity. Then what's your gut response when your church or other people are in need? Let me just give you some examples. Let's just say we're going, hey, we need some help with our children's ministry, which is always true, by the way. Hey, we need some help. We need some some helpers in our children's ministry. Is your initial thought, no way, never? Or is it, okay, I'll consider it. When the church budget isn't being met, and praise God to date, it is right now, but we've had days where it isn't. Do you do you think, man, you know, I'm struggling to myself, I'm struggling myself. Financially, I just can't help. Or do you think, you know, maybe I could sacrifice this or that to help my church family. When a friend is looking for a babysitter and you're free, do you think, ah, I don't really want to and come up with a bunch of excuses? Or do you think, you know, I'll consider it. Let me read Mark 12, 41 to 44. Jesus said it better than I could. Imagine that. Mark 12, 41, sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly I tell you this, sorry, truly I tell you, this poor widow 
has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Is that us? Are we that open-handed to God and to other people? You might think, but, but what if I end up losing my abundance by being too open-handed? Well, verse 19 says, well, then praise God, you just traded earthly riches for heavenly riches. The worst that would happen is that you became more Christ-like. Isn't that the goal? Now, certainly, we need to be wise with how we spend time, money, and resources. Just because there's a need doesn't mean you have to be the one to meet it all the time. Some really struggle with kind of the opposite of what I'm preaching about this morning. They struggle with saying no, and they're exhausted, and they're depleted, and therefore they can't be generous anymore. See, boundaries are necessary. Boundaries actually allow you to be more generous long term, and, but that's a sermon for another day. So if that's you, you should probably throw out a lot of the things I'm saying here today. And you need to work on long-term generosity, on not just being a yes man or woman all the time. But don't want to get too far off track here. So a book that I would highly recommend on generosity is called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And so I just wanted to read an excerpt from that today. The streets of Cairo were hot and dusty. Our missionary friends Pat and Raquel Thurman took us down an alley. We drove past Arabic signs to an overgrown graveyard for American missionaries. As Nancy and I and our daughters Karina and Angela followed, Pat pointed to a sun-scorched tombstone that read, William Borden, 1887-1913. to Borden, a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth, rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims. Refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions, and after only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at age 25. I dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave, and after describing his love for God and sacrifices for Muslim people, the inscription ended with a phrase I've never forgotten. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. The Thurmans took us from Borden's grave to the Egyptian Museum. The King Tut exhibit was mind-boggling, and Tut died at age 17. He was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts, his gold coffin was found buried within gold tombs within gold tombs. And the ancient Egyptians believed in an afterlife, one where they could take earthly treasures with them. But all the treasures intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment stayed right where they were for more than 3,000 years until Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber in 1922. And I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure dusty and hidden off a back street littered with garbage, and Tut's tomb glittered with an unimaginable wealth. Yet, where are these two men now? 
one who lived in opulence and called himself king, is in the misery of a Christless eternity. The other who lived a modest life in the service of the one true king is enjoying everlasting reward in the Lord's presence. Tut's life was tragic because an awful truth was discovered too late. He couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving behind his treasures, he sent them on ahead. Instead of leaving behind his treasures, he sent them on ahead. That is the call of 1 Timothy 6, 18-19. At the end of life, will people think of you as open-handed or tight-fisted? So, when you have more than what you need of something, recall Jesus' generosity. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, by taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. When you have more than what you need, look to the greatest example of generosity. Jesus, who gave up his life on a cross and died a cruel death for our sake. Let's pray.